Good, whatever time it is where you are, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your acting field marshal, TJ Hafer. Today, we welcome to the program author of Dreadnought, April Daniels. Hello. And we welcome back Rowan Kaiser. Hello. So the topic of today's discussion is Hearts of Iron 4's Waking the Tiger expansion and the 1.5 Cornflakes patch, which brought, brought quite a lot of changes, uh-huh. uh, especially in comparison to the previous patches, which just seemed like they were kind of running general cleanup. Uh, at least from my perspective, this seemed like the first patch that felt like a paradox patch, like we're going to make big sweeping changes to like core game mechanics did you guys find that to be the case as well uh yeah i mean especially the uh the general system and how they put generals under field marshals now right right makes more sense and is sort of like the diet version of the big old gangly command spiders you get in hearts of iron 3 so that was definitely welcome and i like the decision system too yeah, yeah, um, and like you know, blowing uh, the uh, what, the what did it used to be called national unity, and they they broke it up into like war support and uh, national stability and war support. I think yeah. are are the new ones. Yeah, um, I'm curious with Hearts Fire and Four specifically, uh, and I know. Podcat has spoken about you know having like some technical debt to work off, and that's why the the first two expansions seemed smaller. It didn't seem like they were tackling quite as huge of a of a scope of like new features or like uh, significant changes. Rowan, how do you how did you feel about you know kind of the the scope of this patch versus previous ones? Um, I mean, the big big thing that I've been keeping my eye on has been the gradual decluttering would be the nicest way to put it uh-huh. of the um, air interface because uh, airplanes are pretty important in World War II and Hearts of Iron 4 has struggled with them since release and I think they're getting to or almost are in a place where like they feel like a manageable part of the game uh, and that's that's been happening over the course of the last several patches but it seems to be uh pretty well firmed up here like when they figured out what was causing uh the air units to just constantly fight and die immediately Uh that was a pretty big deal uh and that was in the game for like a year where there just the the attrition of running basic missions was like 100 percent um so yeah these, these are important changes for uh one of the three major aspects of the game yeah well and i think waking the tiger i think or the 1.5 patch added where you can finally like attach air wings to an army now which i thought just greatly boosted the usability because you're not constantly having to like shuffle air wings around air bases you know, they'll they'll kind of try to follow you know where the where the action is i do still think it's kind of weird that they let you do things like having an 800 fighter air wing, um, which <laughs> is not a good idea, but there's like nothing in the game that stops you from doing it. There's no like cap to the size of an air wing and like nothing's ever going to tell you that it's like, 
okay, well, if you can, if if you're not near an airbase that can support at least 800 fighters, then this this wing is going to do nothing. Like it seems weird to me that they still haven't. I mean, if you if you read the wiki and like you understand how air combat works, you're like, I'm going to build my air wings in increments of 100, and I'm I'm curious why they haven't just made that part of the game now that like that's the max size of an air wing is a hundred of whatever yeah i don't know yeah. i don't know yeah eight eight hundred fighters seems pretty fun though <laughs> i think that's probably why it is yeah uh-huh yeah so the, yeah the air stuff's kind of been rolling i think they like they started to work on that around the time of the last expansion um the one thing that that really hasn't gotten nearly as much attention uh, so far i think is the naval but that's something we might be able to talk about because they just did a dev diary on uh kind of what the roadmap is so if we have time left after we get through some of these waking with tiger features that might be interesting to look at yeah um i i have noticed that i don't and i don't know when this happened but the naval invasions interface is been made a lot better I, oh, it good. took me like hours to figure out how to do a naval invasion and the original version and uh i started doing a couple last night and it was pretty much instant i mean it, obviously some of that is knowing like what i'm trying to do uh a little better from beforehand but even still it was fairly clear about what the issues might be that will stop this naval invasion with the tooltips and um, it used the interface to show like how and where your naval invasion could go. Um, so these things are these things are getting better, and like the the land war has always been functional, and the economy has always been great. But uh, a lot of the sort of external things are being improved, and I think this is the first show we've done on Hearts of Iron since the uh, since it was released. So talking about oh, all of these, that's true, is, yeah. Talking about all these things is good. The naval warfare, I I. I'm excited to hear that they're going to be touching on that because it's not necessarily bad. It's functional, but I've noticed that um, whenever I play, I, I mainly play various Central European powers. I was I was having fun over in East Asia for this, but um, I've noticed that you just put all your ships in one group and you tell them to seek and destroy, and there's one big battle, and then you basically don't have to worry about the enemy navy again for like a year if, if you win. And uh, I hope that they kind of find a way to ameliorate that pattern yeah definitely um it's i think functional is the perfect way to describe how how naval combat works in in uh in hoi 4 right now it's it's nothing more and nothing less than functional um so yeah that that's definitely if they do for that what they did for air combat in the last few patches that would definitely get us a lot closer to kind of the land sea and air ideal of a world war ii game for sure um, so I guess the, the big feature that, uh, at least to me seems like has had the most like baseline ground level impact on how a game of Hearts of Iron plays out with this patch specifically is the stability and war support system where, you know, it, a lot of things that, that used to be tied to, uh, world tension, they're now kind of tied to, War support, and it's possible to have, you know, a starting nation like the U.S. represented in a way that kind of makes sense, where they have very high stability, um, so they're going to have a lot of, like, industrial output, but their war support starts out really low, uh, so they, you know, can't really get super involved in conflicts until 
it turns out that maybe we should have been paying more attention to this Hitler guy. Uh, have you guys noticed in, in the games you've played of 1.5 so far, have you noticed any like major differences in like how you have to think about things based on, on those changes? I think the thing that it's done for me the most is not necessarily like constraining what I'm doing, but giving me a little bit more to pay attention to as I'm building up towards the war. Um, I played a lot of games trying to get communist China right, mm-hmm. and the, the first thing that you have to do there is focus on getting your support up. Um, so you, you, there's a lot more little decisions that you can make that try to work on that, and uh, there are a lot of decisions on their tree specifically that uh, get rid of the effects of the long march and have... Uh, make your support go up as you're going down that and with a lot of countries the first three years of the game are spent just waiting for your your national ideas or whatever uh to to pop in every 70 days and this gives you a little bit more to work with than that and i think that's that's helpful i haven't found it like constraining in terms of well i'm not able to do a thing that i want to do and that might just be because i haven't played like a democracy who i suspect would probably have that the most i played mostly china and italy or communist china and italy um but if you have then that might make it more interesting I ended up getting to be the uh, German democracy option after the brief civil war. And I don't know, maybe it's just like Germans after a civil war really want to fight. I had enormous stability and enormous war support, even though my my whole plan was I was just going to try and uh, not be Hitler, but hold my borders once the Soviets started getting frisky. And uh, so I didn't really notice that. Yeah, Rowan, you you mentioned the communist China thing, which I think we both we were kind of like swapping uh, swapping horror stories of like trying to survive as Mao, <laughs> which is this really bizarre uh, scenario. It's it's not quite like anything I've played in Hearts of Iron before, where you you really are like this scrappy underdog facing oncoming doom, and it's like uh, you're you're trying to like skirmish with the warlords and try to get like one more area that you can get like one more factory's worth of production out of to try to like equip your guys before the japanese showed up uh i think the only way that i ever actually was successful with it is is if the nationalists did really well you know and and i joined the united front and then you you try to like kind of subvert things after Japan has been dealt with, which I'm not sure if that's just how it's intended to work, but I didn't really I didn't really see another path to victory with that start. Like I almost feel like it's a little bit broken. Oh, yeah. Like it's a, a little bit too too unviable. It's a nightmare start. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, some of the limits of the engine where parts of Iron Four is built on gigantic armies on clashing fronts across you know with a line right down the middle of eastern europe uh and then the chinese civil war and the war against the japanese involves a whole lot more guerrilla action and um this is how the communists eventually won and the game attempts to model that but it does so in a way that is difficult to understand and get get going the best i did and i tried about 10 
uh, different attempts with it. Uh, the best I did was, yeah, I, I helped the uh, the nationalists push back Japan, and then I managed to launch my civil war, and the civil war just did not have enough to help me. The way that you launch a civil war is that you're infiltrating various parts of China, and as soon as you press the button that says, okay, rise up, and all of a sudden most of the Beijing area and most of uh, northern and central China ha- suddenly have some guerrilla units and are now communist-owned, which gets you their factories. So theoretically this could work. But by the time I did that, I think it was 1946, and the nationalists were strong enough that they could easily crush that. And it was very difficult to get the interface right. Um, the front line system was just not working quite right, and I didn't feel like taking the time to fiddle with it, and that was probably a very bad idea, because uh, had I fiddled, I might have had more of a chance. But that got stomped down pretty quickly, because the nationalists were powerful, because I helped them beat Japan too early. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of things that the game is trying to model there that are very difficult, but uh, it's an interesting attempt. Yeah, and I mean, you might know a little bit better than me, but like, what actually is the historical path for Mao? Like, I I, I was a little bit confused because they added so many new mechanics, like between the border conflicts and like the political power struggle. You can try to go that route, or you can go the infiltration route. Like, what, what, like, if I'm trying to follow a historical path, what actually did he do? Did he join? the united front and then like i'm supposed to make use of these mechanics later or you know am yes. i supposed to be okay gotcha that's that's the historical path which is the one that i was largely trying to do um but just the way that it sort of sets up uh how nations are and how how these warlords are uh makes it a lot more um uh, binary of like you own this land versus you don't own this land as opposed to uh, the more complicated history of you know the Chinese, the communists are slowly infiltrating, and then maybe the warlord decides he's going to join up with them, or or maybe they just walk up and the warlord says, "See, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't know the details of it all that much. It just seems like it's a really, really messy situation that a, a video game is going to have a very hard time integrating." So, uh, April, you mentioned you tried out some of the new uh, German stuff, um, which I I tinkered with it a little bit. But what's kind of been your experience with that whole? I know they added an ahistorical path where you can like bring back the Kaiser or something like that. Basically, there's um, the standard German tree, and then way way over on the side, there's the against Hitler option, where um, August von Mackelstein basically launches a coup and you get the west half of the country and the Nazis get the east half of the country and a whole bunch of militia spawn. Uh, You get half the military too. So you get half your regular military and a bunch of militia and some of the officers, not all of them. Um, And then you just got to fight the Nazis for a little bit. And you can do that right away. Like there's, there's no, it's, it's, I like that they gave the ahistorical path. Um, I kind of wish that they'd had something other than immediate civil war, just because it felt a little bit... It felt gamey. It, it, it Honestly, it just felt um, a little bit video gamey. But once you get through that, then you have a whole bunch of options that I was really pleasantly surprised by. 
because once you've disposed of the Nazis, you can then bring back the Kaiser and be, uh, you know, the the old school Kaiserreich. I'm gonna I'm gonna grab all of France if I want to. Uh, you can um, have a monarchy compromise where you have like a British style democracy with a monarch. And that's the one I chose. And so the Brits kept asking me to join their alliance and I kept saying no. And then I, I hadn't paid attention and France went fascist and allied with Italy. And so then I had this huge block on my southern border. And so that's a that's kind of a fun ahistorical path. That sometimes has kind of weird pop-up screens because everything's written assuming you're a Nazi. So, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's, <laughs> everything is written assuming that you're gonna be uh, getting ready to be an expansionist bully, and so the little pop-up screens are sometimes a little bit funny. Um, but there's once you have uh, once you have your democracy, there's all sorts of fun options. Like you can create a central German or a central European alliance where you get. Um, like Czechoslovakia and uh, Romania and Hungary to try and join up with you. You can get uh, the uh, Scandinavians to try and join up with you, uh, low, uh, Lowlands and Netherlands, etc. And so there's all sorts of fun options. I found that by the time you're going down that path, shit has usually hit the fan in a really big way somewhere else. And so you're kind of desperately scrambling to put together your alliance and, oh, by the way, you got really messed up in the Civil War because all of the units that you didn't get, I think they're disbanded at the end of Hostilities because my fleet was real. Oh, I, I sank half the fleet, but, um, like, I didn't get my, my rebel infantry back. Like, they, so I, I only had 48 divisions in 1941. And uh, it's... It's a fun alternate path. I like that one. I think that I may have had better better luck with it uh, than Rowan had with his various runs because it's, you know, it's Central European conflict. It's very much Hearts of Iron Wheelhouse uh, defined lines. And other than kind of a weak start, I really liked it. I ended up taking the alternate history stuff off because a couple of the games that I had been doing with the communist China were uh, basically sort of ruined by suddenly the Nazis have just walked all over Russia super easily (laughs) and they're aligned with Japan. So that's game over for me because like I'm going up against the entire German army. Um, And there, there were other times that the Japanese just didn't go into China for like three years, which made it a very weird waiting game. Um, And, There's interesting things going on with the alternate history that I think they're leaning into more, and I'm not entirely certain that it's working. It sounds like it worked really well for you if you're getting the the fascist France-Italy block against a a democratic Germany. Um, But I've noticed what it does a lot of the time is it creates a situation where a war that was made for... I mean, this sounds awful, but a war that made for a good game, a war that lasted for five years, a mm-hmm. war that had like various fronts that you could use the Hearts of Iron interface to deal with, that it happened in history, suddenly becomes a war that's just a curb stomping in a year, and Russia or Germany owns all of Europe, and the entire rest of the game is just watching the US or UK 
try to land some troops and fail. Um, so yeah. th- this is this is sort of an interesting thing about Hearts of Iron, where I want it to get to that point where it can do the fictional scenarios and make them interesting, but I'm not quite sure that it is. Well, I'm honestly, I I enjoy some of the alternate history stuff that comes in the base game, but I'm mainly I'm mainly interested for alternate history and what the Kaiserite guys are going to do yes. with this in the mods. Yes. Um, because uh, Paradox, I think, is pretty good at historical stuff. Their their alternate history stuff tends to be a little bit blunt. And I sort of... I really actually like the, the, the spirit of the Commonwealth expansion, where they, they were going to try and make Commonwealth countries a lot more dynamic and interesting and fun to play. And that's great. I, th- I wish they would kind of focus on more like that and building out systems and, and building out how they're going to simulate World War II and then basically leave the alternate history stuff up to the nerds who really do want to have 40 or 50 different options for how this scenario goes down. Yeah, and I've, I've actually, bringing up the Commonwealth stuff, I've found that some of it actually doesn't play that well. With a lot of the new mechanics, I'm not sure how extensively they tested it, but I tried to do, in 1.5, I tried to do a um, a game where I, I started as the Dominion of India and then tried to, like, go communist and fight for my independence. And it ended up with this super weird situation where I was still, I was still the Dominion when the war broke out, so I was on the Allies... And then Germany attacked the Soviet Union, so the Soviet Union and the Allies are both fighting Germany. And then I had my communist revolution, um, so I was fighting the Dominion, which was still part of the Allies, which happened to be, you know, co-belligerents in a war with Germany, with the Soviet Union on their side. So Stalin was like, no, screw you. Uh, the enemies of Germany are my friends, and so they're and you're the enemies of them. So you're not my friend. And then I started getting faction invite offers from the Axis <laughs> as <laughs> communist India. It was like the weirdest thing. Like uh, it, it did not seem like intended behavior, really. Um, and yeah, like I did. I tried to do another. I I really am. Uh, interested in like some of the alternate paths for south africa and it seemed like those hadn't been tested all that well uh with with the 1.5 mechanics either um but it is it is kind of interesting that they're there it seems like they're trying to create the ability for alternate world war ii's based around these major players you know, being controlled by a human and doing something vastly different. And then they'll have stuff where, like, France is, like, hard scripted to go against whatever Germany does in order to create that conflict, which I think is kind of a, an interesting way of handling it. But I definitely also prefer the way the Kaiserreich guys do it. Yeah. Where they, yeah, where they have, I mean, they basically have their entire team <laughs> is just, like, writing content for, like, all these minor nations, which I don't think paradox has you know the the manpower or the resources to do necessarily yeah that that definitely doesn't feel more like a modder's job there's also there's also the weird thing where especially with the countries that haven't quite had the expansions uh devoted to like total totally revamping them 
um, they still have the old paths that they go down with their with their national choices. Uh, so, like Germany, well, can still demand Danzig, yeah. even if mm-hmm. Germany has flipped to communist in 1937, uh, and that this. This yeah. sort of pushes them down this weird hybrid role of still acting like the historical Germany, even though they should not in any way. But it's very difficult to actually like say, okay, now you're communist Germany. Here's a totally different map or totally different tree for you to go down. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. I think the classic one is uh, Britain debates intervention in the Benelux in like 1948 yeah. when... <laughs> The Nazis are already like marching into Moscow, and it's like, hmm, I wonder, I wonder if maybe we should do something about what's going on in Belgium right now. But uh, yeah, to kind of get back to the the new mechanics a little bit, uh, we mentioned chain of command at the very beginning of the show. Um, personally, I like I haven't I haven't had a game yet where I feel like this idea of chain of command and the idea that like generals each have these like personality traits now has really like affected my decision-making or created any sort of like interesting emergent narrative. Like it almost feels like a framework that they're going to add stuff to later. Did you guys get that impression or have you guys had like a, like a more positive experience with it? I didn't even notice it until April told me about it. So (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah uh i like i like leveling up my dudes i like unlocking their little abilities but um no it hasn't really affected anything because it, it's still basically uh just okay this is the army that i care about so i'm gonna find the best general who has the mm-hmm. highest number and i'm gonna put him there and oh he's got some kind of deal breaker quality okay i'll get the second best general and that's about as deep as my thinking goes on those right like uh, if if i'm fighting in north africa and i have a general that has desert fox like obviously it's like okay you're the right guy for the job but what i haven't seen that i would love to see is stuff Mm -hmm. with like because of his personality traits like macarthur's getting into fights with the you know political leadership or with the the allied command or something like that um yeah and you know maybe we you know we lose some war support because you know macarthur's being a bit of a nutcase well, i i would love to see some events or some sort of system that actually creates stories out of their personality traits other than the story of how they gave you you know, plus 10 infantry attack in hill fighting. Uh, that's that's what I feel is like really is missing from that system so far. On, on one hand, that feels like it could be real big feature creep. Like, this is just not something that is in the scope of the game at all right now. But on the other hand, like, they have all these all these nations start with their historical generals. Like, right. you, you know you have Rommel or MacArthur or whoever. Uh, so it seems like it might be conceivably possible uh that you could do something like that although it's difficult to imagine like what the what the what the net effect would be on the game and if that would actually still be better than they're just kind of there as a set of numbers um because i kind of like that it's uh this is a game about the nation and it's not crusader kings See, I just want everything to be Crusader Kings. That's my that's my real problem. 
Well, if they were going to do that, if they were going to go Crusader Kings on the generals, they need to add in more flavorful downsides. Because right now, all the downside characteristics for generals are basically just <clears throat> like, oh, this guy costs more to promote, or this guy is old guard. He learns super slow. Don't ever <laughs> use him. And um, and then if it like those are the two negative things that stick out in my mind i haven't seen anybody who's like this guy just sucks with tanks he's really bad with tanks <laughs> he's really good with infantry but just you know island hopping campaigns that's what this guy's for um i haven't seen anything that all all of the negative qualities for generals seem to be just like albatrosses around their neck rather than a, a flavorful um, type of thing. And so it might be interesting to have generals that, uh, you know, they, they balance out some really strong characteristics with some really weak characteristics. Like maybe, you know, you get General Patton and he's, he starts out with super good tank leadership, but you can't tell him to do a cautious advance. You can tell him to do a regular advance and he might, but he really always wants to be aggressive. Like, that would be, I think, a much more interesting way to handle these characters. That being said, I, I, I do just like having my little dudes and unlocking shit. And, and it's my little XCOM squad of generals <laughs> being, being obnoxious and using other people's lives to aggrandize themselves. I should probably play a larger country where that's something that I actually have to deal with. Because... Uh... Communist China is so small that you're only really dealing with one or two generals at a time. And then I started playing as Italy, where they have one good general and then a bunch of trash. Uh, <laughs> no, no, seriously, yeah. this is you, there's one general who's got like a four three three three, and then everyone else's ones across the board. I, oh, I don't know if terrible. this is something I'm supposed to unlock their promotions or whatever, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a mess. I mean, Germany starts with Rommel and and uh, all those other guys, and they're all they're all modeled as being yeah, super uh, awesome. The German generals are often modeled that way. So uh, decisions um, seems like a big deal. Are are they really as big a deal as they seem? Though, I will uh, I will leave that question on the table. Well, I'm really happy to see them. I just haven't used them at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think they can be depending on where you are. Um, some of them are especially good with the communist China, like to build up your stability early and uh, try to start trying to start the border wars could also be helpful. Although figuring out how those border wars actually worked was not the easiest thing in the universe. Like what what actually triggers saying you could do a border war uh, was pretty baffling to me. Um, yeah. But when I was able to do those, those could be helpful. The other thing that the, the other thing that they offered uh, for the smaller nations was the ability to like clear land to build new factories, which was something that I took advantage of uh, pretty regularly. Um, so they they're, they feel like, sort of like a hybridized system that maybe modders or maybe paradox will figure out as they go along because there there's an it's it's the seed of something that could grow up to be like really useful, but I don't think a lot of it feels a little generic right now. And this is 
kind of the feel I have for a lot of the, the newer Hearts of Iron editions. Yeah, I, I, I'd say I agree with that. Um, the, the decisions, I like them because it feels a little bit more self-directed than the national focus system, which is sort of, it's improved, but it still feels like you're running down a track. The decisions you can kind of do whenever you have the, the spare points. I just never found a situation where I was like, yeah, I really want to spend my political power on that right now. War bonds. I usually did war bonds. Those are good. Yeah, there's a there's a couple that are kind of no brainers, but I think, uh, it, yeah, it really is something where I'm I'm I am much more excited about what modders are going to do with it than I am with what you know the the what paradox has done with it so far. Um, you mentioned border conflicts, which are like my pet peeve of this entire expansion. It's like, why can I load the same save and sometimes I'll have a border conflict available up here and sometimes I'll have one available down here and it never tells me how to unlock new ones and it, I, 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 why do I never get a border conflict on Shanxi when they're right next door to me? Uh, who knows? Like, it's never, like, a lot of them aren't really explained well. A lot of them almost feel like clutter. Um, like, there's there's certain ones that just... I mean, you can kind of collapse the menus, but there's certain ones where it's like you can like hunt down people of other ideologies to like reduce the the growth of certain ideologies. And it's like unless you're in multiplayer against someone who's like trying to be a troll and change your your government covertly, I don't know why I would ever use this. Um, it's I I like it as a system to be expanded on going forward. I'm not sure that I'm crazy about the current implementation. Um, I, I do like the, the being able to unlock new factory slots. If, I mean, if you were trying to learn history from playing hearts of iron, you would think that the way that the communists uh, won the Chinese civil war is that they had a bunch of tractors and they paved over <laughs> everything in that one little slice of Shanxi <laughs> and just filled it with with small arms factories in uh, 1937. And um, you know what? I think that is... Yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it like they, they, they have their own little, you know, weapons plant hidden in the mountains or something like that. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's like I think it's a feature that has way more potential than what it's currently being done with it, and some of the things that are currently being done with it feel a little unnecessary. Like I feel like they could have taken out half of the vanilla decisions that shipped with the patch, and I wouldn't really have noticed or cared. Um, and I don't know. Maybe maybe it's something down the line where I mean the roadmap for like one point six and onward mentions that they want to change up how ideologies work, where it's maybe not just getting the blue, red, or brown part of the pie chart to be the biggest part of the pie chart anymore. Um, and they did make some changes to how civil wars work already, I think, where, where like you can choose when to launch it instead of just like waiting for events to pop up, which is kind of cool, but... Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if. Uh, I don't know if I'm as psyched about decisions. Maybe I will be when I see how Kaiserreich handles them. I mean, that's basically what I'm waiting for too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More or less. <clears throat> um, 
Did you guys notice any major differences with the uh, kind of the acclimatization thing they have now where troops can be like hot or cold acclimatized and then your special the new special forces techs like can um, affect how quickly you become acclimatized. They also limited how many of your troops can be special forces. So you can't just have like all mountaineers because they have slightly better stats than regular infantry anymore. I noticed that I went through hell when I tried to invade Tibet. <laughs> yeah, that was that was real bad. I did, that was an organization system for my all my entire army just had the little yellow exclamation park next next to them for like two years. <laughs> yeah. um, and that was frustrating. Uh, but yeah, there's I've definitely noticed that the terrain and such seems to be a little bit more destructive if you just go in blindly i don't know if it's that system or if there's something about tibet or mountains or whatever but no i think i think they did because you can become acclimatized now i think they bumped up the amount of attrition you can take if you're not acclimatized that would make sense yeah yeah i mean i definitely like the decisions that it forces me to make with uh not necessarily the acclimatization, which is kind of cool, because it's like, oh yeah, if I'm playing as the U.S., I'm going to have some dis- divisions training in Montana, and those are the guys that are going to be crossing, you know, the the Alps when we invade Italy, and I'm going to have some guys, you know, training in the Texas Gulf, and those are the guys I'm going to send to North Africa. It's like a very small kind of RP thing, um, but especially limiting how many of your troops can be special forces, I do really like that because it makes your you know, one or two elite divisions of Marines or Mountaineers feel way more special. Yeah, that is nice. There's a lot of stuff under the hood in this game that if it's your thing, then it's really awesome, and it's also kind of pretty easy to ignore if it's not your thing, which is, it has its advantages, it has its disadvantages. Like, I hadn't thought of the role-playing elements of training your troops in that way, but it makes sense, and yeah, well, and, like, they've added... Another thing they added this patch was, like, the ability to have, like, custom insignias for each division, and they have, like, a big, you know, palette you can choose from, and they have, you know, they've introduced these, like, historical division name lists. The problem that I usually find, though, is that because of the scope and scale of the warrior fighting, you don't really get the luxury of paying attention to, like... Oh yeah, what's you know what's the big red one up to in France right now? Yeah. Like I don't really find that that's something that I I can uh, that I even have the bandwidth to pay attention to really. Yeah, I, I that was my experience of it too. I I thought it was great that I had, I like the historical unit list uh, just so that they automatically get named something more interesting than thirty seventh infantry division. Yeah, but um, yeah. Other than that, I didn't really care too much about the the custom uh icons and whatever so command power is the other major resource that they've added which is uh basically it kind of allows you it's used for for like leveling up generals but you can also use it for you know if general has a specific trait it can sometimes give them an, like a temporary ability for their army, like an all-out attack um, or like a desperate defense that you can spend command power on. Um, 
either of you yeah i i used it a little bit to win the civil war against the nazis where i would basically just say i would turn on all the bonuses i could afford before a major offensive and that helped it did it um and that did feel like kind of a nice uh you know i'm planning on having my major offensive kick off next month so i can save up some command points and then i can tell them to to speed up their planning and to be more aggressive and that sort of thing uh it was nice i i i wish that they did more with command points because right now it's just kind of this resource that sits at 100 until I need it, yeah. and then I knock it uh-huh. down to, like, 20 because I spend a bunch in one go, and then the next time I think to use it, it's back at 100 again because it either goes up really fast or there's just nothing to spend it on. Yeah, that was, that's been exactly my experience, too. Yeah, I, I mostly used it to, to do the, like, fast organization for setting up an assault. Yeah. Um, at that... I'm not sure that that feels like a really great use of it. Like there are a lot of these things that feel like they're halfway to being something that will really work. And I'm interested if Paradox actually has the, I don't know, aggressiveness to make them work. One thing that I do really like about the command power is that like uh, the, the like all out attack clickable ability sometimes it's just really nice like sometimes if you've gotten bogged down and you're playing as the soviets and you have the manpower to spare and you're like come on guys just go i'm just gonna click this and i'm gonna put (laughs) you on aggressive battle plan execute just break the line just i'm tired of this i'm tired of sitting here watching the little yellow number bounce back and forth just go just run in and if a lot of you die, that's okay. Um, I just, you know, I'd like to get to Berlin sometime uh, this century. So please just just go. Just do it. Just All do right, it. Stalin. I guess we've got our... Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, that's yeah. fun. I like that. But it's other than that moment, there's just not much to do with it. It's also kind of difficult to see what you're supposed to be doing with it like you you say it's used to promote generals and i'm not sure exactly what i get out of promoting generals and uh there these systems feel like they're um uh, what's the thing people say about eu4 spaghetti yeah yeah uh, that it it doesn't quite feel like they're in a cohesive whole um and i felt like Hearts of Iron 4 when it was released with it had some major flaws but there was a cohesive whole of a really interesting economic system combined with a good uh, land war system and that could that could go a long way and now it's sort of okay how do we model this thing that is in World War 2 but maybe that doesn't necessarily go along with the economic system that was like the core strength of the game and this is not to say that i dislike what's happening um just that some of it feels a lot more confusing than i felt when i was surprised at how unconfused i was playing the game initially did either of you guys try out any of the uh the new ahistorical stuff they added for japan that's the one we didn't really talk about yet yeah i did i um I decided I would go communist, and the uh, the communist civil war in Japan, uh, basically, you just lose all of the military, and you get a few 
you get a few militia on the home islands and you need to make this just absolute desperate gangway rush to capture Tokyo before the the rest of the Imperial Japanese military sails home and kicks your butt. And I kind of wasn't ready for that. I think I didn't really know what to expect. And so I kind of got my butt kicked and didn't have a good time. But I think now if I knew what was going into it, I think I might be able to enjoy that. One thing I didn't like about that scenario is that like their other alternate history scenarios, it's just kind of like a, well, choose this to have history get screwed up. Like there, there, there doesn't yeah. feel like there's a, okay. I know the Simpsons completely destroyed their credibility over the last week, but <laughs> um, it really does feel like the alternate history scenarios are that scene from the Simpsons movie where president McBain's, advisor comes in and says mr president i've narrowed our options down to five unspeakable choices and he's just like number three that's it that's how you do a civil (laughs) war like oh i guess we're having a civil war now because president mcbain said we're going communist yeah it would be nice if they made it they made it a little bit more of i mean they've added all these like infiltration mechanics and like these national power struggle mechanics for china like i'd love to see that extended to like if i'm playing as the u.s and like i want to foment a a communist uprising in the u.s that like i'd have to actually infiltrate the midwest and like spend my political power to gain support in congress and stuff like that would be super fun um kaiserreich might already be on their way to doing that oh yeah uh, i i'm very excited (laughs) to see what they do with that yeah, yeah. Um, I I actually tried the one that was like the modern shogunate path, where mm-hmm. um, you like you oppose the Zaibatsu's and you you basically uh, or you oppose the Kadoha faction or you support the Kadoha. It's one of those. You do yeah. something with the Kadoha, and then you know you 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 you, um, you end up going with go after Russia rather than go after China. But what I found is that every time. Uh, Chiang Kai-shek decides to start shit with you anyway because he sees that you're fighting the Russians so you just end up fighting China and Russia um, and I didn't feel like it was it was that much different from a standard Japan game other than flavor wise you're unaligned instead of fascist and you might be able to stay out of whatever shenanigans the Axis is up to um, I do like that they're they're including these though because the larger nations, the the major powers are usually the most fun to play, and just giving you more ways that you can do that and have a different experience is cool. Um, they actually have in their their little roadmap for like what's what's ahead is that they want to do the same thing for Italy, the USA, United Kingdom, Soviet Union, France, and Poland that they did for Japan and Germany in this patch, which I, I think, uh, that could be interesting. Yeah. Get some cool stuff out of that. Um, one of the things that I, I don't know how deliberate this is an issue, or it, how deliberate this is as an issue or whether this is for people other than me, but, uh, they, the way they set up, like how you start a new game where it's like, you don't get achievements if you don't play Iron Man. Uh, and then they have all these weird mechanics like April talked about with like not knowing how the Japanese Civil War works when you trigger it. It, it feels like it it's 
discourages experimentation or punishes experimentation in a way where, like, I'm playing Iron Man because what if I get an achievement? Why not? This seems like the default mode, and then I have no idea how this Civil War actually works, and I totally messed it up. Um, so I, the first game where I started trying to use the infiltration mechanics, I started trying to infiltrate Japan. Uh, this is one of my communist games. And... Japan had the, I think it was communist, it might have been a democratic revolution, but I'm pretty sure it was communist. Uh, they had their communist revolution, which took over the home island, uh, or home islands, but did not, the the rest of Japan was still imperial, or the rest of all of the, what they owned across Asia was still imperial. So there were two Japans. And I saw this and was like, okay, I'm going to launch my revolution in support of uh, the communists in Japan because I'm attacking the Japanese holdings, which are still owned by the fascists in China. But what it actually had to happen was I declared war on what the game had decided was real Japan, which was the communist Japan. And, yeah, and then the actual fastest fastest Japan, who I wanted to fight, joined with me. Yeah, that's very similar to what happened in my India game. Yeah, although I I will say that possibly your problem with trying to launch civil wars in Iron Man is that that's a bad idea because Iron Man was on the wrong side of the civil. <laughs> that's 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 another. That's oh, another TJ. Topic. Uh, <laughs> I've been I've been rewatching a lot of Marvel movies lately. Um, yeah, so I was just gonna run down really quick, uh, kind of what what they have on the roadmap for the future before we kind of put the uh, put the final stamp on on do we like this expansion or not. Um, so they've said more more control over naval warfare and fleet behavior, improved naval combat with good transparency, give it the one point four air treatment. They specifically said. Um, a logistics system with more actual player involvement, as right now you only care when stuff has gone very badly. Um, better submarine warfare, spies and espionage, uh, improving peace conferences. I already mentioned alt history focuses for the other, you know, major nations. Uh, they do want to represent fuel in the game in some way, like they did in Hearts of Iron 3. Um, more national focuses, obviously. Uh, the other one that was that was added recently is more player control over the rules. It sounds like um, they you know might be taking a page out of Crusader Kings with letting you customize your experience a little bit more. They mentioned competitive multiplayer and single player rule sets often clash, and it, you know it's very difficult to balance for both. Um, out of the stuff on that list, is there anything either you're particularly excited about or wish would be, you know, added and addressed? It is fixing supply, or maybe not fixing supply, but making supply feel like something that is actually within my control makes a lot of sense because, as I've said, this is what really attracts me to this game is how good it is at making you make economic choices. And that seems like a, a natural extension of that. I'm excited to hear that both submarine warfare and fuel and supply will all be uh, given more attention because right now I just don't think submarines are scary enough. Um, yeah. Like, they just, they, they really ought to be able to completely ruin an island nation's day or to completely blockade a country that only has access to an interior sea. Like, they should be really... A major fight like the battle of the atlantic was not a small thing 
And right now, it just kind of feels like, well, they're going to build their guns slower, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no, I never feel like if I'm playing as Germany and I go the historical route for their Navy, I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to build um, a shitload of submarines and just send them around, uh, surround Britain and like send some of them to the Atlantic. I don't actually get uh, significant feedback on what this is actually doing, mm-hmm. like how I'm actually mm-hmm. benefiting from this, which I think is a major, you know, missed opportunity in that regard. Um yeah, I'm definitely excited to see what they can do with supply and fuel um, just to make those a little bit more hands-on. Uh, and obviously, the the I really like the rules screen in CK2. I fiddle with it a lot, so bringing some of that to Hoi 4 would be great. Um, but before we get out of here, what is what is our, our verdict on, on 1.5 and uh, the Waking the Tiger expansion? I think they're they're both quite good. That just feels like they're they're like one step where the second step, if it's made by Paradox or by modders, might make them really good. Yeah, I give it a B plus. Like it's definitely if if you're into Hearts of Iron, I would say it's definitely something to pick up. Um, I think that it makes the game stronger. But uh, yeah, it's 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 also. A big part of that B plus is the excitement of of things to come. Yeah, I feel like Hearts of Iron Four. I really enjoy Hearts of Iron Four overall, but when it came out, um, and especially the first time that some of us uh, as press got to play it, there were clearly things it was trying to do that it had not figured out how to properly execute on them yet. And I feel like a a lot of the stuff that was added in this patch and this expansion, you know, they're standing now where a lot of the base game mechanics were back during some of the early preview days and even to a lesser extent at launch, where they've gone and they've added a lot of this, like, really ambitious, really kind of interesting stuff that has a lot of interesting hooks, um, a lot of potential, but they have not you know, honed it down to what it could or should be yet. Um, and that's kind of why I, I have such a, a hard time evaluating this expansion because I, I admire a lot of what they're trying to do, but I think that some of it, particularly like the de- 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 decisions system, um, and apparently my speech as well, are a little bit, you know, they're they're not quite where they need to be yet. Uh, but I, I look forward to seeing what modders do and what future patches do do for them. Yeah, it um, and he, it feels like that they're go sort of going through a phase where, like that that initial one that we saw was like, here's our ambitions, and then after we said, okay, this is broken, they consolidated it, and the the consolidated version was what we got on release, and now they're like, all right, we've consolidated, it. let's take the ambitious step again, and then the next thing will be, okay, now we can figure out what works and what doesn't, and this will, uh, this should make for a better game once it's you know, kind of conceptually caught up to where their ambitions are headed. All right. Um, any final thoughts on anything, anything Hearts of Iron related, past, yeah. present, or future? Yeah, in about a year, Kaiser Reich is going to be the best strategy game ever made. 
<laughs> I love Kaiser Reich. I, I love absolutely that game love so Kaiser much. Reich. It's a yeah. it's a Hearts of Iron game where playing the United States in the 30s is not a tedious bore. It's amazing. I know. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um, I, I suppose since uh, I've branded it, I should really try it at some point. <laughs> True. Yeah, it is. It is your Reich. Yes. So your Reich and responsibility oh to give it give it a shot. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, April, where can we find your stuff? You have a, do you have a book? Yeah, out? I've got, um, I've got two books out. The, the better, the better known book is the first one. That's called Dreadnought. It's up for a Lambda award. And, uh, I mean, it's sold basically where books are. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, the superhero book. So it's got a lot of fun stuff like that. And it's got a sequel called Sovereign. And right now I'm working on the third book as well. Fantastic. Um, and as, as Stan Lee said, I believe it was Stan Lee, everybody, every comic is someone's first comic. So, Rowan, if this is someone's first 3MA, where can they find your work? <laughs> on a bunch of other 3MAs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been quiet on writing. I've mostly been doing editing lately. But Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I talk a lot. You'll find you Twitter. You find me on Twitter <laughs> with opinions. Right on. One of one of the only other games writers that that wastes as much or more time on Twitter than I do. Um, so I think that's gonna do it for for Hearts of Iron Four: Waking the Tiger. Um, thanks for having we'll me be, on. Yeah, we'll be back soon with more strategy game discussion. As always, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network and produced by Michael Hermes, who stalks me on Reddit, apparently. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners on Patreon, so go buy some podcast bonds at patreon.com slash 3MA. For April Daniels and Rowan Kaiser, this is TJ Hafer, over and out.